0: And now, America's Healthcare Advocate, Carrie Hall. Hello, America. Welcome to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast-to-coast across the USA here on the HI radio network. My producer, Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Carrie Hall. This is your show, America. Thank you for joining us and making us one of the most listened-to talk shows throughout the United States. We are up to 282 affiliates, thanks to all of you in the listening audience. Having said that, I want to welcome on board all of our new affiliates that are in the 9 o'clock Eastern hour. Uh, From the folks at Radio America, I want a a big thank you to Mike Paradisio and his crew for making that come on board. We're very happy to have all these new affiliates on board. And also a special shout out to KTBB AM and FM in Tyler, Texas, just down the road from uh, my friend George Burton, uh, who lives in Jackson, Texas. So a big shout out to them. We're very happy to be on in Tyler. Spent a little time in that town, like it really well. So we're happy to have all them on board. All right. So if you do have questions about health insurance, if it's It's individual or it's Medicare. The lovely Joyce Thompson can help you at 877-385-2224. So if you're aging in, maybe you're two months out, three months out, whatever it is, give Joyce a call. She's happy to help you. If you're looking for a real solution to employer-sponsored health care, I don't care where you are, whether you're in North Carolina or you're in Kansas, you're in Oklahoma or even Guam. That's right. I did say Guam. Sue Denninger is an expert. She is the lady that took over all of my book whenever uh, my company merged with the uh, RPS and RPS Benefits by Design. She is also an expert, nationally renowned expert, can help you with employee benefits issues no matter the size of the group. So, um, again, give Sue a call at 877-385-2224. You can also reach out to me on Facebook if you wish to do that and on the website, America's americashealthcareadvocate.com. The Facebook page is Carrie Hall, C-A-R-Y. H-A-L-L, or America's Healthcare Advocates. So we actually have two pages up there, which is kind of interesting. All right, so today's show, I've been waiting to do this for some time. I did not want to do a show before the election uh, and talk about what healthcare policy was going to be in this country, uh, depending on how the election went. So now we are going to do that. So what I'm trying to do here today is tell you what you can expect from the Biden administration when it comes to issues like the public option, Medicare for all, um, how is all that going to sort out? How are short-term policies, uh, are, gonna, are they going to be allowed to stay in place for a year, or is Mr. Becerra, who is the new nominee, uh, new appointment uh, for HHS appointee, uh, is, is, is he going to eliminate that? And we're going to talk a lot about Mr. Becerra in the third segment of the show, and I'm going to go through factually – the things that we can expect to have happen and and what his positions on health care, even though he actually has no health care or health insurance expertise, he is the former Attorney General of the State of Colorado, excuse me, of California, and I think he's a four-time congressman. So it's kind of an interesting pick. We'll talk about that in the third segment. I want to update you on some good news regarding Alzheimer's from Eli Lilly. We're going to talk about uh, supporting your immunity and why is that important to do that. We're also going to talk about that venture that... uh, some of the smartest people in the country were certain was going to uh, change the dynamic of healthcare in this country. You may recall Haven Health was a combination effort between Berkshire, Hath- Berkshire Hathaway, J.P. Morgan, um, and uh, the infamous Mr. Jeff Bezos. Um, they folded last week, so we'll chat a little bit about that. Cancer deaths, some good news there. We'll bring you up to speed on the latest uh, information on cancer. And we're also going to talk a little bit about what happened to that China Uh, vaccine in Brazil wasn't particularly good news so we'll talk about that as well let's start off with some really good news and that's the good news on Alzheimer's it turns out that the good folks at Eli Lilly uh, just finished an experimental trial the experimental trial on Alzheimer's disease helped patients, uh, the company said renewing hopes that researchers are closing the gap on therapies that can fight Alzheimer's, let me tell you what they did, the drug uh, slowed the decline in memory and ability uh, to perform activities of daily living by 32% over an 18-month period, people who received the therapy compared to those who uh, received the placebo. This is a big deal, people, okay? And let me tell you why it's a big deal. It's a big deal because this this may be the beginning that leads them to a chain of events that allows them to turn around and uh, find cures and or medications that slow or stop the decline in Alzheimer's so it's a really big deal um, and as Eli Lilly went on to say this is a big moment for Alzheimer's patients there's hope said Dr. Daniel Skowronski uh, of Eli Lilly's chief scientific officer uh, if the findings hold it would suggest that re- researchers have found a medicine that can at least slow the Alzheimer's progressive disease uh, and uh, that steals memory etc cetera, etc cetera. now they've just enrolled 500 new folks in this trial we'll see how it goes But you know here 's the thing. You know you, you hear people like Bernie Sanders and others that demonize uh, these pharmaceutical companies. How many times have they failed? With these with these trials, and I did a show here a year ago when I talked about what it takes to get one of these things to trial. It's a massive amount of money. Okay, Eli Lilly and uh, you know a host of others have failed with this. Well, they keep plugging along, and look what we've done. And also, you know, before we throw the baby out with the bathwater, especially with this new administration coming in and and their outlook on healthcare. Keep in mind that it was Moderna and Pfizer who um, created actually a miracle in the vaccines that we now have available to us, and I'll talk about the efficacy of our vaccines compared to the Chinese and the Russian vaccines here in one of the later segments on the show, but it was, that it was the pharmaceutical industry and those companies that made that happen, so I think that's something that's kind of important for us to keep in mind and understand how all of that works. Here's some good news on cancer. The American Cancer Society reported this week that cancer mortality rates have declined by 2.4% since 2018 that's 31 that and and 31% since 1999, the peak. The credit for better, the credit goes to better earlier diagnostics and therapies. About four, this is kind of scary. About 40% of Americans will be diagnosed with cancer in our lifetime. The risk increases increases with age. Cancer is the leading cause of death for middle aged Americans. Two or three times more likely uh, to have cancer kill them in their 50s or 60s than COVID 19. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? The incidence of Some of these cancers like breast, liver, kidney uh, is also increasing partly to demographic and lifestyle reasons. We'll talk about that. Um, The report notes that breast cancer is growing by uh, 0.05% annually amid increasing body weights and declining fertility. That's not all particularly good news. Yet overall cancer deaths are falling by an accelerating pace from 1% decline annually in the 1990s to 1.5 in 2000 to the early 2010s at 2.3% and from 2016 to 2018 they say this is partially because of regular screenings but it's you know and and they're catching a lot of these things earlier they're catching the cell mutations the tumors earlier that have helped expand the 5-year life expectancy and you know, issues like prostate cancer are being caught at 98% now. Melanoma at 93% and breast cancers at 90%. So it's really quite remarkable. And I've said this before, okay? You know, I've talked about this. The, the treatments that we're seeing now are are amazing that are coming out of uh, both the pharmaceutical industry and um, out of uh, the medical medical our medical industry uh, as a whole. It's really quite remarkable. Treatment breakthroughs are also responsible for the rapid reductions in mortality from hemopedic? yeah, hemopedic and lymphoid malignancies in both children and adults so basically they're talking about melanoma um, and metastatic cancers here okay bad pronunciation on my part but the good news is that they're able to isolate these things it, it, with therapies that are generally engineered to the white blood cell counts and attack the lymphomas before you know before they become even more malignant and that's what they're trying to accomplish here um, the prog- you know progress has been in Encouraging uh, from drug makers to increase spending on more innovative oncology therapies. from biotech and Moderna, that's, you know, that goes back to this discussion about a minute ago that I had about the vaccines. The mRNA technology Moderna is using is is one of the things that is making a big difference in how they attack these cancers. So the, the point I'm making here is it's good news. Uh, we can all use a little good news now and then, right? It's good news, you know, cancer deaths are declining more than they ever have. And uh, it, it it's important for us to understand that comes from this country's ability to innovate and do things like mrna uh, which moderna again turned into a vaccine uh, and how all of that works so a journal of american medical association study in august found that the diagnosis of breast colo- colorectal lung pancreatic cancer gastric and esophageal cancers listen to this declined by 46.4 percent um that's pretty amazing okay so we are making great progress folks and it's important for all of you to know that all right when we come back from the break we're going to talk more uh about uh, some of the other things that are going on, I'm going to touch base on this Haven Health issue. These were the folks, the smartest minds in the country, uh, Jamie dimian the sage of Omaha, Mr. Warren Buffett, and Mr. Bezos, who were going to come together and change the landscape of health care. That didn't quite work out. We'll talk about why and what all that means. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the H.I. Radio Network coast to coast across the usa if you want to find out more about us go to our website americas healthcareadvocate.com americas Healthcare com. Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the newly expanded HIA Radio Network. Once again, I want to extend a warm welcome to all of our new affiliates. Uh, My producer today, the always perfect Mr. Oscar Monterosa. I'm your host, Kerry Hall. We're going to continue this discussion. This is one of my multi topic shows, or as my producer likes to call them, cornucopia shows, where we talk about a lot of different things that are going on in the country regarding healthcare and health insurance and all those issues. So, here we go. We're going to talk about Haven Health. Now, for those of you that don't know who that is, that was the venture that was put together uh, by Amazon Berkshire, Hath- Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan. So it was Mr. Bezos, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, was Warren Buffett, the uh, sage of Omaha, and Jamie Demian at J.P. Morgan. By the way, I happen to like Jamie Demian very much. I think he's in- Extremely uh, intelligent, bright guy, and I love to listen to what he has to say on the markets. But it's interesting to see how these guys were going to come together and they were going to recreate healthcare and show the world how to do it. They were going to start with their employees, and then once they got that done, they were going to step into the open market space, the, the, the retail market, and start writing health insurance. Well, uh, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and JP Morgan's joint venture to address the issues of healthcare in the healthcare system is shutting down operations next month. The not for profit healthcare focused entity called Haven was created three years ago so that major companies could combine resources to create better healthcare solutions for the U.S. employees and families while reducing overall costs. Okay, this model was going to be rolled out, okay, as a new national solution to rising health care costs. Hey, you know what? I applaud them for trying this, okay, but I think we're learning something here. This is a little more difficult to get done than you might think it is. Let's go on. The company announced on Monday that it will end its independent operations as of February 2021. In 2018, its creators acknowledged that the healthcare system is complex and this is no easy task. However, Mr. Bezos said it's hard as hard as it might seem to reduce healthcare's burden on the economy while improving outcomes for employees and their families. They could do it and it would be worth the effort. JP Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon said companies have extraordinary resources to help create solutions to benefit U.S. employees and their family and all Americans. So that was kind of the key that said, hey, you know, we get this done. We're the smartest people in the country and we're going to roll it out to everybody else. Well, Unfortunately, that's not quite how it worked, okay? However, the company continued to face a slew of challenges over the past three years, including the departure of their CEO, Dr. Atel Gwande, uh, last May. According to Forbes, the company has also lost another key executive in operations positions last year. Even Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett had previously announced that the company may not succeed that was interesting. Prior to Monday's announcement, though, the company noted that it has been able to explore a wide range of healthcare solutions, as well as piloted new ways to make primary care easier, access insurance, in- access insurance benefits, and make them simpler, and to understand the easier use of prescription drugs and make them more affordable. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens here, okay? But what I found interesting about this as I went through this was um, uh, some of the responses that I saw online to them closing down. And here's one that I thought was particularly interesting. And this, this, is addresses, an, this addresses an issue in this country that I think is, is really a problem, and that is people's complete misunderstanding of how the system works. So I'm going to read this to you. So this, co- this guy uh, puts his, uh, his handle up here, if you will, on Twitter as Sherm1957. Healthcare is a complex issue before someone can have surgery you must get permission from the insurance carrier who even if they uh, even if they authorize the procedure uh, it doesn't guarantee payment healthcare costs are rising uh, due not due to the healthcare provider but due to the hoops and the hurdles that the insurance companies uh, place before they will approve having a surgery when your premiums rise it's not because of the providers it's it's because the insurance companies are asking for larger payments Well, I'm sorry, Sherm, but uh, you're 100% wrong, and I'm going to illustrate just exactly why. The problem in this country, and everybody likes to throw rocks at the carriers, and I'm not here as an apologist for insurance carriers, but I want people to understand what drives costs. Health insurance premiums are simply a reflection of what the providers are charging. All right, And so as a result of that, um, that is what drives health care costs. So when a hospital charges X, the insurance company rebills that, and it pays that, and out of the premiums, that's how that works. That winds up basically being, the. in, a, in other words, here's what the health care costs are, here's what the premiums are going to be. And there is an overhead on top of that, but it's a small overhead. This is a misconception in this country, so I'm going to illustrate just how much of a misconception it is. And I'm going to use right here in Kansas City as an example. Okay? So this is a, an overview of the charge masters, the, the billing uh, setups in various hospitals here in this city. And you've heard me talk about they charge a percentage of Medicare. So Medicare bills at 110, 120 percent, some cases 130 percent, and then hospitals add on top of that. So let me go through them here. Research Medical Center bills at 833 percent of Medicare. Overland Park Regional, 769 percent of Medicare. Menorah Medical Center, 660 percent of Medicare. Shawnee Mission Medical Center, 604% of Medicare. St. Luke's, 561%. University of Kansas, 529%. St. Joseph, Missouri University, uh, 513%. Truman Medical Center, 189%. Do you see the disparity here? So it goes from 189% up to 833% of healthcare. Of Medicare billing. There's your issue, all right? That's the part, Sherm, that you don't understand, okay? It isn't about the carriers, Uh, it is about the providers and the disparity we have between what providers charge. Uh, in, in one hospital versus another. And what that comes down to is you can get the same hip replacement uh, at Research Medical Center, and it's 833% of Medicare, or you can go over to Truman Medical Center and get it done for 189%. In other words, Medicare plus about, a 50%, uh, about 50% on top of that. Why is that? For the exact same procedure. Okay? And, it, and it does not have to do with outcome-based ratios in terms of reinfection rates or other issues. It has more to do simply with what the hospitals choose to charge, and that's really what it amounts to. So my point in telling you all that is to get you to understand, well, we're going to have this discussion and this is going to start happening now, okay? With this new administration, and I'm going to talk about that in the third segment. But do understand, okay, where the issue lies and who is responsible for this issue? Uh, yes, the insurance companies play a role here. And again, I'm not an apologist for the insurance carriers. They've made a lot of mistakes when Obamacare came in, and a bunch, in, and a number of other policies been put in place. But do understand the issue here. the The issue is the, the, the providers and the lack of transparency around what providers charge. Try to find out what it costs you to get a gallbladder hip replacement you'll be surprised you can't okay because hospitals don't put that pricing up on their website but if you went to the Oklahoma Surgical Center which is located in Oklahoma an independent surgery center you could see a price for every surgical procedure they do there all right. And if you knew what the hospital was going to charge, you would then know the difference between that particular uh, uh, procedure there and their outcome-based ratios, which, by the way, happen to be some of the highest in the country in terms of the quality of what they do there and what you see at places like Research Medical Center. So that's my point. I'm trying to explain to you how this all works. All right. When we come back from the break, we'll continue with this show. We've got a lot more to talk about here today on America's Healthcare Advocate. When we come back from the break, we're going to get into our long segment, and we're going to talk a lot about what to expect from the Biden administration uh, and Mr. Javier Becerra, who is the new Secretary of Health and Human Services. At least he hopes he is. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. We'll be right back. (music) Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the Fruited Plain here on the H.I. Radio Network. You can find out more about us by going to our website, americashealthcareadvocate.com, americashealthcareadvocate.com. Let me remind you, once again, if you do need help uh, with Medicare or individual health insurance, the lovely Joyce Thompson is there. And on the employer benefits side, Sue Deniger is a true national expert. 877-385-2224 if you just want to talk to somebody and get some help. All right, so In this segment today, we're going to talk about what to expect now that the Biden administration is in place. Now, look, I don't do shows on politics. There's enough political talk out there on the air without me chiming in, all right? But there are consequences to elections, as the famous President Barack Obama once said, okay? And we're about to see what those consequences are. All right. I'm going to talk about that in this segment. Let's start with the pick that we have now for the Secretary of Health and Human Services. His name is Javier Becerra. He is the the uh, AG Attorney General uh, for the state of California. He served in the House for 24 years before being selected by Governor Jerry Brown to replace Kamala Harris. So there's the connection, all right, after she was elected to the Senate. In Congress, he was a staunch progressive, uh, co-sponsoring bills like Medicare for All, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Okay, so this is what this guy is about, and this is the guy that's going to lead Health and Human Services now. You know, can he go in and, you know, we're going to do Medicare for All and the public option? And No, he can't. Those are pieces of legislation that have to get through Congress, and you've got a 50-50 Senate and a narrow lead for the, Demo- er, for the Dems in the House. So it's going to take compromise if they're going to get any of this done. But I want you to understand where this guy comes from. So I'm going to give you an example uh, of something uh, that I think is rather fascinating. He doesn't like not- profits okay and he specifically doesn't like religious not-for-profits so he seems to be uh, focused uh, sometimes as AG uh, on those groups so uh, the AG has taken up secular left's battering ram against religious conscious protections for health care providers. In National Institute of Family and Life Advocates versus Becerra in 2018, he defended a state law requiring pro-life pregnancy centers to provide notices to women about publicly funded abortions. Guess what? It got overturned by the Supreme Court. Now, I'm telling you that for a reason. I want you to see how far to the left this guy is. When they describe him as a progressive, that's being kind, okay? Um, he, he has a certain disdain for not-for-profits and a true disdain for those that are uh, affiliated religiously. By the way, just note that he didn't conversely go back to abortion clinics and say that they should provide information on counseling centers. He was only interested in pregnancy counseling centers providing information on abortion, that's kind of the mindset of where we're going here. So let's talk a little bit more about some of the things he's all about. Uh, the Biden team is trying to dispel Republican unease by saying they won't impose Medicare for all, yet they do support federal waivers to let states implement a single-payer system. Well, let's stop right there. Okay, we went through this drill before. Oregon tried it. Vermont tried it, et cetera. Utah tried it. They didn't work, all right? But now we're going to talk and go back and do this again. I mean, just amazing to me. When do they learn? OK, I just went through this whole thing with Haven Health. The smartest minds in the country, Jamie Dimon, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, couldn't make it work. But we're going to go back and start all over again with the government trying to do this. OK, they, it goes on. All right, They want to expand government control over health care far more than the Obama administration did. I'm going to repeat what I said. Elections have consequences. Understand where this is going to go. All right, so I'm going to talk about this in, basically in three stages here. All right? The first stage is going to be... First of all, can Bracera get... Can he get confirmed? Well... That's going to be kind of interesting to see because it takes 60 votes to confirm unless they do away the filibuster, and then it'll be a flat, simple majority. So I don't know if he's going to get confirmed or not. He's got some pretty radical policies here, and there are going to be a lot of Republicans not happy with him. And maybe Mr. Manchin's not going to be too happy with him. We'll see how all that works. Um, But he is all about the single-payer system. He is all about Medicare for all. So you can bet – that public option is going to be right up there at the top of the agenda of pieces of legislation they want to get uh, passed and how quickly they can get it done, all right? So here's, here you know, he And he also does not like the drug companies. This is something very interesting. This is an area where they think he could do the most damage is drug innovation. Remember, I just talked to you about new drugs uh, that are attacking cancers. And then we have the Moderna and Pfizer vaccine, which were done in record times, you know, changing the way we do things at, at uh, uh, in this country regarding development of those kinds of treatments. So Becerra <laughs> wanted, to, wanted to jam through a bill. Uh, that That would bully the drug makers and, and would limit their access access would limit people's access to new medicine he also uh, at one time uh, urged the Trump administration to go in and seize uh, medications by various uh, uh, producers on the pharmaceutical side that had to do with um, the vaccines because he felt that the uh, the federal government should step in and take it over. So we've got a very interesting guy here. It's going to be interesting to see how all this works out. So now we move to the to the public option. By the way, before I get to that, a quick point. One thing I think you will see that they can do with the stroke of a pen is these short-term policies that are now one-year policies, 364 days. Don't be at all surprised if those revert back to three-month policies. And, and uh, as they were under the Obama administration. They like to call them junk insurance, what they are when they're good policies, like the Blue Cross and Blue Shield policies, are reasonable and cost-effective alternatives for people that can't do Obamacare because they don't get a subsidy. So that's important for you to understand that and know how all of that works, okay? All right, so let's talk about this public option because this is this is the second stage, in my opinion, of moving toward Medicare for all. The first stage was Obamacare, and I quote, uh, Barney Frank. Once we get the door open, we will kick it in. Okay. And that was in reference to getting to Medicare for all. So the goal. They have not taken their eye off the ball here. The goal is Medicare for all, but the next step is the public option. So if Congress passes this thing, here's what we're looking for. It's estimated that the politically realistic public option would increase 10-year federal deficits by $800 billion. That's just the option. okay? The, uh, so this, this would be taxpayer-funded. We all get to pay this, all right, in order to put this public option in place. All right, keeping the public op- option deficit neutral would likely require broad-based tax increases to add thousands of dollars to a typical middle-income family. Now, remember that uh, Joe Biden promised that any families who made income of $400,000 or less would not see any tax increases, That's going to be thrown out the door if they put this public option in place because there's no other way to fund it, people. Okay, so there is going to be a significant um, uh, increase in taxes. Uh, The public option alone would increase the federal deficit by 30% of the gross domestic product by the year 2050. So again, (laughs) I'm going to repeat what I said. Elections have consequences, and the consequences now – that are on the table are we're going to start moving closer and closer and closer to a single payer system. That's what I think you're going to see. And that's what I, that's where I think this thing is going to go. And Mr. Becerra is certainly, uh, not a bellwether uh, for, uh, uh, you know, calm and sanity in terms of the way he approaches these issues. I mean, if you look at some of the other Biden picks, like Janet Yellen, um, like, like, you know, the, the, the gentleman that he's picking uh, for uh, attorney general, those are pretty centrist. They're left of center a little bit, but they're still pretty centrist. When you look at this pick and what this represents, that's not the case, all right? So be prepared, all right? Uh, this, you know, this this piece. I'm Reading off of out of the journal goes on to say the math is grim. Even without any new spending, we estimate that Congress will need to an across the board tax increase of 10.4% beginning in 2026 in return for long term debt projections as CBO's 2019 forecast. This is without. The public option, okay, this is based on all the money that we're borrowing, printing, whatever you want to call it now, uh, to attack uh, the COVID-19 crisis. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm saying these chickens are going to come home to roost, and then what's going to happen? All right, so these are the issues um, that people need to understand. This is what we ushered in uh, when this administration was elected. And unless some people stand fast and pretty tall, we're not going to see this go away. You're going to see this movement continue because they are hell-bent okay, to get us into a national healthcare system. They're doing it incrementally. Remember what I said, you know, they're kind of like a Rottweiler. When they get a hold of your leg, they're not going to let go until they've got the whole thing in their mouth, all right? And (laughs) that comes from years of training dogs. But understand what I'm saying here, that this is the march toward a publicly mandated healthcare system, and that's actually where I think it's going. Finally, last piece, finally, policymakers could opt for payroll tax increases to finance the public option. This would keep top rates below 50%. All right, that's, that's important. So if he holds to his promise of not to increase taxes on people that make 400000 or less, where are they going to go get the money? Oh, let's impose a payroll tax. So that's what I think we have coming. Um, that's certainly going to be the agenda of Mr. Becerra. And then, of course, as I said, it's got to get through Congress. But they are, they're, they're not shy and retiring about trying to do that. Remember Nancy Pelosi's famous words, we have to pass this bill so we know what is in it i'll be right back after the break you're listening to america's Healthcare advocate broadcasting here on the HI radio network stay tuned i'll be back with more we're going to talk about that infamous china vaccine how well is it working stay tuned i'll be back with more Welcome back. You're listening to America's Healthcare Advocate Show, broadcasting coast to coast across the USA here on the HIA Radio Network. I want to continue to welcome to the broadcast all of our new affiliates at nine o'clock Eastern hour, and thank all the folks at Radio America for all the good work they did, and welcome on board all of these new affiliates. And as I said earlier, our newest affiliate there in Tyler, Texas. All right. In this segment, we're going to we're going to talk about um, the China vaccine. Remember. So China developed a vaccine, so did Russia. Okay, but we're going we're to talk about the China vaccine now. It's called Senevec. All right. It was developed by the Chinese, and they're finding there's some problems. In China's effort to boost its image, uh, this comes out of the Wall Street Journal, in China's effort to boost its image by providing COVID-19 vaccine to the developing world, they suffered a serious setback on one of its leading inoculations, that would be the one in Brazil. Canada's turned out out to be that the effectiveness or the efficacy of the vaccine was 50%. 50% is the threshold, people, for whether or not you're supposed to be able to administer vaccine according to the World Health Organization's um, guidelines. Here's the problem. <clears throat> it actually, it actually uh, shows an efficacy of 50.4%. Now let's compare that to Moderna and Pfizer, 949 and 95%. So those are the American-made vaccines which have the highest efficacy of any in the world compared to this particular one uh, in Brazil. And by the way, the Russian vaccine, Sputnik, has a 70% efficacy. So when we're comparing uh, what we see the Chinese produce, the Russians produce against what we produce in this country, to our innovation and entrepreneurship of our pharmaceutical industry, there's a significant gap. I don't think too many people would line up to get the Chinese vaccine. Okay. So let's go on with this. Scientists said a lack of transparency. Now, can you imagine that? A lack of transparency coming out of China. Well, anyway, a lack of transparency uh, about the data risks damaging the credibility uh, of the vaccine. Brazilians and others worldwide are already reluctant to take it. Yeah, I think I can understand why. So you've got the WHO people, you know, there in China now trying to get information about how all of this started, uh, yet they're not getting information. And two of the WHO people that, that were supposed to go to the country were denied access to the uh, to come in and examine Where exactly did this start? How did it start and who was responsible for it? And the Chinese are doing what they always do. Okay, they're putting up a wall and saying, sorry, we're not going to tell any more than that. But here, I think this is fascinating, though. This Chinese vaccine, the Sinovac vaccine, turns out that is 30 points lower than previously reported. Thirty points so they said it had an efficacy of eighty percent. Now that it's being used in, in massive doses in Brazil, it turns out it's fifty point four. That's our good friends, the Chinese. Right? I just think it's interesting, you know, again, I go back to I you know I, I listen to people like Bernie Sanders and others who consistently demonize the pharmaceutical industry in this country. And yes, they make a lot of money, but they spend a lot of money. Okay. And when you see the miracles that they pull off, like the two vaccines that we have, and you compare that to the rest of the world, there's really not a a comparison. There's really not a comparison from the innovation, the quality, and the science that we have in this country and how they can come together to make things work like they do, like with the cancer drugs that I talked about in the other segment that are now targeting tumors and killing tumors. And we're seeing cancer rates, even though we're not leading right now, with better health outcomes from the standpoint of how we're living. You know, more people are couch potatoes. They're not paying attention to their diets like they should. A lot of that has to do with COVID and people being at home. But <clears throat> on top of all that, even with those issues Are are accounting for a certain number of. More cancer type issues, we're still seeing the numbers go down. And they're going down because we're able to use these pharmaceuticals and these treatments that are making a huge difference. Whether it's the Vinci robot being able to go in and do a surgery uh, that typically couldn't be done in the past on esophageal cancer, or whether it's a breast cancer, or whether it's being able to take a medication that goes in and kills non Hodgkin's lymphoma cells and allows someone to completely recover from that devastating cancer disease. So we continue to make a lot of progress in this country. All right. I'm going to shift gears now. This is kind of interesting. It's called Hopeful Signs on Views of Growing Older. This comes out of the Orange County Register, and I spend a fair amount of time in Orange County because my grandchildren are there on with my oldest daughter. This is interesting. So there's a radio broadcast called The Living 100 Club on the Voice of America, and the man's name is Mr. Joseph Kasani. Um, <clears throat> So the question was asked from your vantage point, um, how how are older Americans viewed? Because this is kind of interesting. So he goes on to say several positive indicators. Let's take a look at the political scene. Donald Trump, 74. Joe Biden, 76. Mitch McConnell and and Pelosi are 80. Um, Hollywood, uh, Maggie Smith, 85. De Niro, uh, De Niro is um, uh, 77. Uh, um, Helen Marin is 75. Diane Keaton, 74. Barbara Streisand, 78. Al Pacino um, is 80. And he's saying that there's an upside to aging. There's There are a number of books out there. The Upside to Aging by Paul Irving, The Hundred Year Life, Living and Working in Age of Longevity by Linda Grattan, uh, This Chair Rocks by Ashton Applewhite. And these are all movements that affirm getting older doesn't mean Um, that you can't function at a high level and have a wonderful life. Look, I've never made a secret of it. I'm 71 years old. I'll be 72 in May. I still do this radio broadcast, and I have two other companies I'm very involved in. One is the Wavi Brain Scan with Midwest Brain Health, and then I have another company out of Texas. So I, I'm a big proponent of uh, of of making it to a hundred, okay, uh, and 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 trying to uh, enjoy my life now with my wife. You know, we bought an RV. Uh, we're doing some traveling um, <clears throat> and having a lot of fun. But you know, th- this attitude in this country uh, that that you know we look at in a lot of other countries, like Japan and other countries, people are recognized uh, as 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 something to behold in terms of age, for their wisdom, their experience, and what they've gone through. In this country, we have a tendency to belittle that, okay? And I think what they're saying here is uh, that, that it, it, it just, we we need to readjust that attitude. You know, it, despite our progress, um, uh, the article goes on to say the AARP uh, workplace survey said two-thirds of those 45 or older had experienced age discrimination. okay. So, you know, it's kind of interesting because one of the things I learned about older people working in different facilities, whether it's retail or otherwise, is A, they show up on time and they do their job, and B, they're a lot less burdened in terms of uh, their willingness to work and having issues in those workplaces. So I just thought this was interesting because – just because you're aging uh, doesn't mean that, you know, you can't live a productive and happy life. And I think I try to be an example of that, and I hope, uh, I hope that I am because I really do believe that. I, as Satchel Page once said, the famous Negro Leagues baseball player, um, it's a matter of mind over matter. They used to ask him how old he was all the time. He said, it's just mind over matter. If you don't mind, it don't matter. And that's important. I think that's important. And now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to today's broadcast. I leave you with this thought from Dr. Martin Luther King. Americans must learn to live together as brothers and sisters, or we will surely perish together as fools. I don't think those words could be any more uh, important than they are today in this country. Let's all try to keep that in mind. Thank you for listening to America's Healthcare Advocate, broadcasting here on the HIA Radio Network, coast to coast across the USA. Goodbye, America.